This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Born to be Humanist, and the author is Dr. Dragon P. Bogonovich, and Dr. Bogonovich joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, doctor. Good morning, sir. Great to have you with us. Born to be Humanist. Now, tell us a little bit about your book. You've, you focusing, you're focusing on 26 special people in your mind, uh, well-known names for the most part to most of us. Uh, uh, before we get into the details about these individuals, uh, why did you write the book this way, and what are you trying to accomplish, Doctor? Uh, if I may start from the beginning, then I can be, give you a complete picture. I will be as, as short as, as possible. I was born in 1930. From Paris, they both have uh, government employment. Employed it, and uh, we had a happy life till about 1931. In 1937, in my age seven, I entered the school. My father, they wanted me to, in the first place, to learn French, because that French was that time an international language, and you could not do any prosperity in any profession without language. I learned French from 1937 to 1941. In 1941, World War II started, and the country was occupied, occupied, and the German army uh, entered our country. Now that we stopped learning French, and for four years we stopped learning the German language. 1944, war was over. The Russian army they, uh, entered the country, delivered us, and uh, changed it uh, for another four years for, from uh, German to the Russian language. We lived with the Russian for four years until the, our government uh, kicked them out and turned to the America, and then we stopped learning the Russian language and the English language. That went all my life. The four years I was learning the French, four years I was learning German, four years I was learning uh, uh, Russian, and the four years I was learning English. Uh, that also, I might have mentioned that, that for each four years I was learning completely different histories, which has been completely different for the time where we live in. And you can even believe in how much that act influenced that one young man who is supposed to be grow and to mature and to become a progressive member of the society. I eventually made it and uh, uh, finished the high school and the medical school and become specialist in the gynecology and start working. At that time, our country turned against the Russian who tried to enter in 1968. And they become enemies, the Russian and the French with American. American money start pouring in our country. Many, many factories have been built by the uh, American dollar for the time being until the President Reagan and the Gorbachev closed at peace. And uh, that country was not any more important. Money from American stopped. And all this uh, uh, Political factories start to failing down because they, they were built without any solution, without any basement. I 
succeed to, as in my profession, and I was sent to the United States in 1969 to improve my technique in a gynecology surgery for cancer the female. And uh, after three days, I figured out that this country is for me, the country that's for the peace and prosperity, then I can come over here and let my children grow in a proper way in a peace and, and a, a security, which I didn't have a chance to do. I kept the grudge, grudge for this humanity, which is a sick, sick and a completely destroyed every young man, progress and growth. Now, I'll tell you one thing, you know, I worked for 50 years in this country, and after 50 years I become sick from some like an unusual disease, and also my wife becomes a mentally, uh, memory problem, rather. Then I had to retire, and I retired. My granddaughter introduced me to a computer, and to a computer I started receiving that daily inspirational sentences. <coughs> there was a joy for me. And I was collecting them, and eventually I selected them in four groups. Uh, one group was a talent, second group was a creative imagination, third group was a creativity, and fourth group was a wisdom. I was uh, interested in the first group, in the first book, which called Heavenly Wisdom, to find out what all those famous people that I mentioned in this book made them successful. What, this is a, that number of these successful people is so small, less than 1%. Why other people, they don't proceed that same way? I couldn't find the answer until the moment, until the moment when my, my daughter entered the, who finished the medical school and entered the specialty, orthopedic specialty university in uh, Washington University of St. Louis to be orthopedic surgeon. And he called me one day and he said that Grandpa uh, typed in a computer uh, uh, university, Washington Orthopedic. My name is Lily Bogunovich, MD. And I did it. And I showed up her picture and this word. And this is the word that made me start doing the first book. That says that I knew I wanted to be a physician since fifth grade. Dr. Lily Bogunovich is passionate about her chosen profession. Growing up in, on a farm in southern eastern Wisconsin, Dr. Bogunovich recalled working in her grandfather's medical clinic through high school and college breaks. He was gynecologist in Yugoslavia before moving in Wisconsin and opening up family practice. She says, I used to go with him in early morning rounds in small Milwaukee hospital when I was younger and I knew that I wanted to go to medical school. Dr. Bogunovich left her ruler roots and graduated for first from Cornell University and then from Vail Medical College in New York as a debate medical specialty. She blended her interest in surgery with a love of sports and outdoors. Orthopedic is a perfect fit because I like working with relatively healthy, active patients. She says, I was very active when I was a kid, starting out with speeding, speed skating, downhill skiing, rugby, and soccer. That was what encouraged me to find this book, that first book, to find out what it makes all these famous people successful. If you give me more chance, I will explain that further.
Well, definitely. We're talking about these people that you singled out. They have talent, imagination, creativity, and wisdom. Now, uh, as I said at the beginning, many of these names we recognize. There may be a few that we don't. Why did you choose these 26 humanists, as you call them, stories of 26 humanists? Uh, for example, uh, why did you choose John Wooden to be in your book? Uh, at the first place, I, on the first, uh, first book, I was uh, interested to find out why all those people become so successful. And I find out the answer, and my granddaughter's brother. In the second book, I try to find out what is the common in all those people, all those 26 people. I, it's interesting to use them, hundreds of them. Anyone else was coming to my computer, and it was introduced with a whole short history about them, each one of them, until I become sick and entered to the hospital to receive the blood transfusion. I had the opportunity to observe a young nurse, which I call a Nurse C, in the second book, which is called Born to be Humanist, as the subtitle of the story about Nurse C. I observed that even as a physician, I was so impressed with the young woman that performed so well with the, all the instruments, which were me as a doctor of 50 years, was a completely strange, because for five years, the medicine progressed so much. She was so skillful that she provided blood with all security to controlling my oxygen, controlling my breathing, controlling my temperature, controlling my blood pressure. And I find out that that woman is born with the talent to be nurse. She, was, she opened her heart and became a nurse, graduated as a nurse, and now as a practice as a nurse, I call humanism. And that one also belongs to the humanity and to be called humanist. Same as all many, many, many other people through the centuries, which started maybe 11 years before Christ. When Zarathustra and one of the prophets in Iran started the humanistic movement. Also in Greece, there was a, like a, a Miletus Exenophilus, and about 11 years before that, before Socrates, they started the humanistic movement, which has been mainly included the reason in intellect, but not the faith. Through the century, all this humanistic movement, which these people were involved in, called humanists, has been involved in a war between the reason and the faith. And I find out now that there are so many people in this world, humanists, but not all they are uh, creativists, like, like I used to be, like... Uh, Alexander Fleming, that discovered the penicillin, or Saint Georgi, who discovered vitamin C, or Madame Curie. Those people, the humanists, because they are born with a talent in their heart, they are uh, graduated according to their talent, and they practice in the talent without discrimination to anyone according to their ethnicity, according to the religion, according to the language, uh, according to political, social, sexual, and anyone. They do not discriminate the earth because they act for human, for every human to help them. Well, we have a variety of people here. I'll just name a few that you focused on, these 26 humanists, as you call them, John Wooden, Albert Schweitzer, Benjamin Franklin, Martin Luther King Jr., John Quincy Adams. I mean, you even include Dr. Seuss, 
uh, Seneca, Mother Teresa, Abraham Lincoln, the list goes on and on, uh, Stephen Richard Covey, Pythagoras. It's, it's everyone coming through the computer, I use them. I was uh, uh, planning to use hundreds of them to find out what is the common, what is the common thing in, uh, in them that both they perform so well. That's a completely different uh, uh, idea and purpose from the first purpose when I was uh, interested to find out what makes them. That. Now, right. what makes all these things uh, to be uh, common, to be common in their life? The common things, and all those these people, yes, that was the talented people, and I was born with the talent, they opened their heart, they discover who they are born to be, and become, according to the given talent through the education, and become married, become married to that profession to the rest of their life. That's in the same thing when a young man sees a young girl and his heart starts to fibrillate it, starts to flatter it, and a love opens love open the heart, and at that that art subject, that woman, becomes life, love for their life. It's the same thing. That people, they open their heart, and that given talent become, become a marriage with the talent for the rest of their life. If I use it like a Nikola Tesla, who was a one, the genius, one of them, who created so many things, who never been married, and never had a social life, because he was married with that profession, with that talent, with that uh, uh, life purposes, from the beginning of his life to the rest of his life. And that was the common in this, uh, that's what we call the uh, born to be humanist. Together with all those young people, they're born in the same way, and born and married with their profession, and preferring good for humanity without discrimination to anyone. A few other names I'll mention, Michael Jordan, Henry David Thoreau, Robert Louis Stevenson, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, very, uh, quite a variety of different people here that you focused on. And just in the, we have about a minute left, Doctor. Uh, you see a need to bring this to our attention because humanity to you is going in the wrong direction. Humanity uh, goes in the wrong direction because the humanity is divided. We are all divided. We don't have anything else that is in humanity that can bring us together. We see so many things like uh, the uh, ethnicity divides us, uh, uh, color of the skin divides us, uh, language divides us, uh, religion divides us, political position divides us, social, sexual, either homo and hetero. There's only one thing what made them together, what can make it and save humanity, which becomes so enervated, is so weak, in spite of humanity, has been created to rule of the nature, but becomes so weak and helpless, that becomes servant of the nature. And today you can read it in a, in a newspaper, see it on the television, how nature of disaster kills so many people, smaller or bigger one, because person is able, our humanity is able to go to the moon, but is not able to resist the uh, nature of disaster because they're so weak, because uh, there are only small number of these people, they're uh, real people they could call humanists and to, to save the humanity. 
We've been listening to Dr. Dragon P. Bogonovich. He is the author of his book, Born to be Humanist. Doctor, tell us, how can we get your book? How do we get it? Uh, I think that so far, as I know that my book, you can get it through computers on uh, through the Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. So now there are some people working and marketing, which is going to start it properly uh, uh, on 19 of this month. And uh, if I make something else, which is so important, that what I find at the conclusion after study all these people, is that all those people arrive to this world naked, but they arrived, arrived with the three powerful attributes. It was the power of discovery, power of imagination, and power of talent. Every born child discovers in his family, he perceives and discerns things to the beginning of his life to continue. This is a like spiritual concept, spiritual like a phenomenon I call spiritual gift. is like flame that should never be turned down. Same as imagination and a talent. Because there's all these people, successful people that I mentioned in the first and second book, that all those people, they continue from the first day of life to discover, to imagine and their talent. And that burning flame, that spiritual gift, never has been turned out. And that's what made it these people do. Every family that I try to introduce should know that. It should not be arrogant and even less ignorant that every child who is born is coming with that kind of gift. And they should be protected, supported, to live in a peace and security in order to grow. If I say one more thing, if we see today in a global, global competition that our students, they don't do well. But why, why we can never ask why, because we try to pull that money in, a, in, a, in education. But there's not a problem. Problem is that, that every student who enters the education system without purposes, without the, uh, uh, reason, which is a dead talent, like my granddaughter, who he said that she knew that in age 15 that she's going to be a doctor. When she entered high school, she finished as well in Victoria because she had the purposes and she did well. If the young student entered the school without any reason, without any life purposes, without opening talent, he will never succeed. And that's why it's a problem in our education, not the money, but in the family, because the life and prosperity of our children, our society, our country, and entire humanity begin in a family, in a loving family that provided security, support, peace, which I didn't have in the beginning of my life. But I provide for my grandchildren, and the result is present. Well, very well put, Doctor. Uh, thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk and sharing about your book, Born to be Humanist. Thank you very much. You said, and my problem is that I have so many much, much things to say, but the time is limited, <laughs> and I'm thank you for your patience. Well, and thank you. To speak. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station?
Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Yasumi's Tale, and the author is Setsuko Arakaki Barlow, and Sue joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Sue. Hello, Mr. Stitt. Great to have you with us. This is such a cute book. Told from the point of view of your dog, Yasumi. Now, what kind of a dog? Uh, it's a basset hound, female basset hound. Female basset hound. And she was with yeah. you how long? Uh, she's 10 years old. 10 years old when you started writing the book. Yes, correct. Well, before we get into the details of this Yasumi's tale, I mean, it is uh, got a lot of uh, different uh, uh, connotations about this word tale because it's not only, of course, we all know when we look at a dog, we can always tell something about the dog because of the way it's wagging his or her tail. But this is also Yasumi's tale. This is a great story from Yasumi's point of view. But uh, Sue, tell us about your background first and why you wrote the book. Uh, my background is, is I originally come from Japan. And then when I was grew up, and my parents told me folk tales. So I used to uh, listen to their folk tales at home. And when we go to school, and we heard uh, Western fairy tales. So over the years... I developed interest in in folk tales. Then I wanted to um, understand the folk tale in the original writings. So that's what, when I was interested in learning English. So I studied English, and uh, well, it has gone many years, and I met my husband on Okinawa, Japan. And uh, eventually we married and we moved to the United States. And one day um, I went to school to apply for class. That was a community, uh, community college in the area. So I applied and I was accepted. That was when my second son was about three years old. So after that, I started taking a class, one class at a time, and I gradu- gradually improved improved my English skill to the to the level that I could take uh, college classes. But then uh, my husband transferred to uh, University of Washington, and we have to move close to the school. So then uh, I had to find another community college that I can study more. So I and I found um, the college is called Edmonds Community College. So I enrolled classes there. So I took uh, some classes 
one class at a time because about that time I had to work as a part-time in school cafeteria and my two boys are still small. So, but I was taking one class at a time. I finally met the requirement. I graduated. And then I applied to University of Washington for more education. I had to take one class at a time. Ah, and then, okay. So that stretched out my time. So is and this your first book? It's the first book, but I do have two other books that is translated into Japanese in the publisher. Well, we want to congratulate you on all your uh, great learning of English, and you speak it very well, and congratulate you on not only uh, this book, but other things that you've done. Tell us about Yasumi. Um, why did you decide to write this book from her point of view? Yasumi was it's, it's so much fun to be with. I wanted to uh, keep her memory intact in written form. So I started to jot down something she did with us. And then I showed them to my husband. And he said, oh, that's a cute, those are cute stories. So that was encouraged me to write more. Right. And I add more and more. After a while, I have three, uh, 13 different stories about Yasumi. And it became Yasumi's tale. So you believe that dogs can learn and understand our language? Oh, yeah, sure. Yes, they, they see our movement, our voice, and then they learn from there. So we can train the dog very well, and then also, and then also sometimes dogs can train us too at the same time. <laughs> right, yeah, they, and, they know, they know uh, how to get our attention, don't they? Oh, yes, they know. For Yasumi, for, uh, for example, when she wants something, she comes to me and they uh, whimpering. And she wants something. She, uh, if she's hungry, she wants food. So she comes and then whimpers. And then at the same time, she put her nose under my my hand and then just pushes it. So she gets, she tries to get attention from me. So, yeah, she got all attention she wants. Now, there's a couple of chapters that talk about punishment. You say, uh, you know, oh, Yasumi yes, yes. Learned, learned that there were some things that she could do and some things she shouldn't do from you. Yes. Uh, see, uh, that book is based on premise that, that good behavior will be rewarded and the bad behavior will be discouraged. So there's, um, in the chapter of Yasumi eating pies. One time she ate six pies. <laughs> so after she ate six pies, <laughs> Yasumi was punished, of course, and she was ordered to stay in her bed all day. And then she says that it was the worst kind of pun punishment she ever had. Not only <laughs> she got sick to her stomach, but she also felt lonesome being alone that day. So at the end, she expressed her inner feelings that 
she says, that is why my doctor said human food is not good for me. <laughs> so, so this is a punishment. The other one is it, which is uh, she's receiving a reward. Is that um, I wrote in the yes, uh, dinner time responsibility chapter, and then when Yasmin has to go downstairs, tell dad that dinner is ready. But she tried to quick it, finish it very quickly, and she doesn't want to go all the way downstairs because the, it's so much trouble for her to go seven steps down and another seven, seven step, steps to get to the bottom. So she goes seven steps, and there she howl to dad, said dinner is ready, but dad won't listen because she cannot, he cannot hear. But so Mama over there upstairs said, telling her, said, go downstairs, all the way downstairs. So she doesn't want to go, but she has to go. So she will go and tell Dad that dinner is ready. So Dad comes upstairs and Yasmin follows. And then, well, I give her a reward, a hot dog. She loves hot dogs. So that's, um, yes, when she does something good, she will get rewarded. She, so she understands. When she does bad things, she will be punished. She has to stay in bed. But when she does something good, she will get hard duck at the end. So, so Yasumi that, learns, she can learn from her mistakes. She does. Yes. Now what so, about the robin? What happened with the robin? Oh, Robin, yes. Robin is, uh, that one is, uh, when Yasmin was outside wandering around, patrolling the yard, and something just struck her. She didn't know what, what, what that was in the beginning. And so it's more and more, uh, the, uh, Mother Robin attacked her. And then so she um, tried to make sense of that. Why she is attacking me? Try to understand the reason for her attacking Yasmin. So that's the chapter that I covered about uh, one action, uh, I'm sorry, one's reason for action. There's always, action is always attached with a reason, one's reason. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that, in, in that part, Yasumi um, figured out at the end, aha, that is why the Robin was attacking, because she wanted to protect her babies from me. Well, Yasumi tells her point of view on her experiences, of illustrating her life experiences, and as you've pointed out, she yes. gets caught in between her free spirit and human rules. Yes. That she often get, gets into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> because she has uh, such a keen nose, her smell, she can smell so good. And, she's, and all, at the same time, she, she's curious about the smell. So she tries to find what, what that is. And then she goes to place to get into something and then that's usually happen uh, her problem sometimes she was scolded 
by us, or sometimes she was uh, get lost. And but she said that she can learn from her mistakes, and then yeah, she does. She always find love with family, and then. Well, it's a cute story and one dear to your heart, and everyone will enjoy reading Yasumi's tale, and we've been listening to the author, Setsuko Arakaki Barlow. Sue, tell us tell us how we can get your book. Well, that book is sold at um, authorhouse.com, as well as amazon.com, and, and Barnes and & Noble, and other uh, internet Sellers. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Sue, on Author Talk. Thank you so much for, for your time and having me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Spirit's Path, a story of three women. And the author is Lisey Mayer, and Lisey joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Lisey. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, great to have you here. Uh, This covers, like it says, the story of three women. It covers your mother, yourself, and your daughter, but some uh, specific, specific messages, unfortunately, firsthand to you. You cover child abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment, the effects of war on family life. I mean, you even go to the point of cancer and death, loss of a spouse and child. I mean, you're covering some very tough issues that life is filled with. Uh, yes. why, why write the book? Why write the book? But before we get there, Lisey, please tell us about your background. Uh, even though, of course, you're going to get into detail, uh, your book does, about uh, sexual abuse that you experienced. Look what you made out of your life in spite of it. Yes. Well, I was born in Austria during World War II on a farm. <laughs> and uh, so that's where the story basically begins is with uh, how my life began. And as, as, as you know, there was a war going on. And of course, that war affected everyone uh, in Austria as well as everywhere else uh, in the world. Uh, and the effects, uh, I'm, I'm basically describing the particular things that happened to me 
so I'm describing what happened to my mother basically because she was in a war situation and then what, uh, I, how that affected her behavior, uh, the divorce of my parents, and then subsequently my mother's very difficult uh, trying to raise three children all on her own and uh, a new marriage and then uh, kind of the abandonment and rape that happened to me uh, during this time and how from then on uh, basically it continues the struggle of immigration uh, to the United States of America when I was 10 and a half and then adjustment here and unfortunately more sexual abuse at the hands of my stepfather. Uh, I was raped at the age of 8 by a person on that farm not related but the sexual abuse that occurred during my childhood and adolescence was from my stepfather. And uh, there was an additional rape at the age of 13 uh, when I tried to babysitting. And uh, the people I babysat for, their husband came home drunk when he shouldn't have been home and uh, raped me as well. So, I, you know, these uh, sexual assaults had a very big mark on my character as far as uh, causing depression uh, very low self-esteem, uh, wanting to become invisible. I tried to, I was so scared, uh, you know, of this happening again that, uh, that I, I, I literally shrank like into a, a wallflower, uh, which is not my real character. That is not who I really am. And I kind of uh, was helped spiritually uh, because I became very aware of Christ uh, in my life. And also, uh, in, uh, as an adult, I studied, uh, you know, religions, all the different religions in the world and how they can help a person overcome personal hardship and tragedies. Uh, so, um, then of course, uh, I, I was so happy to have a daughter born to me. I had a happy marriage, but then that daughter got, uh, cancer, which, uh, is another scourge in our society now, cancer. And uh, she eventually died of this disease, and it was a, a very hard struggle for my family, uh, followed by the death of my husband suddenly, uh, and kind of a start of a new life for me as I struggled uh, to go into the next phase uh, of, you know, of trying to overcome all these obstacles that were in my way. Meanwhile, I was practicing as a physician, as a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, and it was very important to me to impress upon families how important it is to be open in a family, not to be ashamed, not to have to hide things uh, from each other, uh, you know, to keep up standards or because somebody has expectations, but to be totally uh, aware and honest about the emotional life uh, of the family and how important. So I'm trying to bring awareness to that now that I have actually retired uh, but I want to leave a message, <laughs> and that's the message I want to leave is to, first of all, that there is hope, uh, that faith can be a very important factor in any recovery uh, from anything, abuse, addiction, whatever, uh, and the faith can be in whatever you, uh, the person chooses, you know, that they're, the, whatever faith they're attracted to, that they feel they feel most comfortable with. And uh, and basically uh, to keep on loving, because that's one thing I learned. I loved my work. I really loved helping people. 
and I love my family and my children and uh, basically everybody around me. And I think uh, if you can keep that love alive in your life, uh, no matter what happens to you, uh, there will be joy. Uh, of course, there's always pain. Uh, you know, we all, uh, even if we love, uh, we end up having pain if anything happens to our loved one or we lose them in any way. Uh, but it is always worthwhile to love. So that's the message kind of that I'm hoping uh, to leave with this mm -hmm. book that I've written. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great message, a much-needed message. We can't hear it enough. So spiritual development was a key, key part of literally uh, your future, your success in life. I totally, totally, I attribute it, that's why I call it Spirit's Path, because I, I think the Spirit is active in all of us. Uh, if we just open ourselves to it and recognize it, and it can be the greatest help in, uh, for instance, in my abandonment, I also felt very abandoned as an adolescent, and when I held on to that faith, um, in my in my individual individual case, it was Jesus Christ, but you know it can be anybody that somebody is comfortable with, whatever religious, uh, uh, Buddhism, you know, uh, uh, Islam, you know, any of those can be uh, a person make feel make a person feel comfortable uh, to give themselves up to this higher power, uh, and to become aware that we are indeed led in life that uh, we're not alone. Uh, there is always a higher force that we can appeal to that's very personal. And basically, that is how I made it through all of my uh, afflictions, you know, uh, that, that have happened in my life. And I, I have tried to encourage other people to open up also spiritually, to not neglect a spiritual life. Uh, because I think that is so important, now, you know, whether you are having great success or whether you are having a terrible time in your life, uh, hold on to that knowledge uh, that there is a spiritual life in us, in all of us. And at the same time, after you keep developing this spiritual side of your life, which often means getting on your knees and praying, you have to get off your knees and you've got to literally, as you pull it, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's right. And, and, that's, and that gives you the courage to do so. You know, it, it gives you the courage to hold your head up and go out there and do what it is you're meant to do uh, and to accomplish what you want to accomplish in the world. I think the world needs all of us to accomplish uh, something, you know, that is important to us, uh, that we value, that would help other people. My focus is also always on helping others. It is not just a lone journey for me alone. I want to pull people along with me. And in the book, I think I point that out by being a doctor. I felt that I pulled people along with me on this hopeful journey, uh, this healing journey, that as I healed, they healed. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what I hope to um, leave a message also. And love is a very what, important ingredient, love. <laughs> what about this, this uh, claim by many who have contact with a loved one after death? Yes. I feel uh, personally, um, uh, you know, another tragedy really has just happened to me this year. I lost my second husband 
to cancer of the lung. He died in March of this year. And uh, that was another very difficult thing uh, for both of us, for him and for me. Uh, And we both held on to the spiritual. uh, And, you know, through prayer, you become aware. You become aware that people are alive, that this death is but a doorway. And there is a continuing life that we live forever. We do have a spirit that lives forever and has lived forever. So this isn't the only time we've been here on earth. You know, we have many of us have had reincarnations we are aware of, and uh, some of us are not aware of it. But uh, And I am in contact. I feel every day that I'm in contact with the people who have loved me in my life, including my mother, including uh, my husband's, my daughter. I, I feel that I get inspiration from them, that they pull me along, that they remind me of things as even small things that I need to do, and that I feel this loving presence around me. And I think that that uh, even in the book I describe that uh, during adolescence, too, I felt surrounded by lovingly by my uncle who was actually killed in the war. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that has continued. Uh, very often now, I will wake up and I will feel like my mother is sleeping next to me in the bed. It is so real that I have to turn mm. on the light to make sure she is not there. So I know spiritually my mother is being with me, uh, even though she died, you know, 10 years ago, that uh, through all her hardships and the things that she uh, did that were harmful to me that I'm sure she did not intend, uh, she is letting me know that she is with me, that she uh, continues uh, to watch over me, to be present in my life in a positive, affirmative way. And of course, because of your personal experiences with abuse, as well as trying to help so many children and family through 40 years of a practicing psychiatrist, you're adamant about protection of children. I mean, it's it's of paramount importance. Yes. I, I, I can't impress upon people enough. Children are so dependent on the adult caretakers and all adults around them. We should all protect all the children, not just our own families, children, but the children of the world, that we should take special care of them because they are our future. That is who will carry us along once, you know, once we pass on and we go our way. And it is so important to protect them, to feed them, to care for them, to clothe them, to make sure they are healthy. Uh, we should have such an investment in our children. We should uh, consider it the number one priority. And I mean not just having expectations of children, but making sure that their life is a healthy life that they are loved, that they know they are cared for, and that they are protected. Uh, Because they are so dependent, they often are at the mercy uh, of adults, uh, you know, know, who may act like they are wanting to do something for them and then abuse them. So I think we all really need to be much, much more uh, caretakers of our children so we raise them into healthy, happy adults, loving adults. And what about in the closing moments of our discussion, what about, what about gender identity? That's another thing. I think that should be so respected. 
I, I think that we don't know yet if it's totally genetic that people either feel they are not the sex they were born with or they are attracted to their own sex. I think the important thing is, again, to support that person in whatever their identity is because once you do that, they can make healthy lives for themselves. They can find partners. Uh, they can p- find people who love them and understand them. And society at large needs to have tolerance and allow uh, sexual uh, you know, identity uh, to occur as, and not to suppress a person's sexual identity, nor to punish them for it, but to encourage that that is part of their identity and that there is room for everybody. We've been listening to Lisey Mayer. She is the author of her book, Spirit's Path, a story of three women. Lisey, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can get it through um, uh, Amazon.com, any of the any of the book companies that are that are on the internet. Uh, you can get it through them. Uh, you may also get it directly from Author House if you uh, need. But uh, it's ready readily available on the internet. Thank you so much, Lisey, for being with us on Author Talk. And thank you. I appreciate it very much, Mr. Jorgensen. Thank you. 